Today is a day intended to celebrate one version of love, but there are many forms of devotion. This is the 636th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that seeks to provide as much information as possible about a particular region of the United States of America, whether we love it or not. I'm Sean Tubbs, and this love is what I got. On today's program, one of Charlottesville's deputy city managers is no longer with the city, and there are two other new top vacancies. The United States Department of Agriculture has released their latest count of all statistics related to farming, and the number of farms is down in Albemarle County. The Charlottesville Human Rights Commission is seeking your input on what area they should focus on next. New members join the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission, and they get a lesson on what that is. And Charlottesville City Council adopts an affordable dwelling unit manual, despite some concerns. I've got a reasonable suspicion that anyone reading or listening to this newsletter or podcast are people who love to read, and hopefully people who love libraries. One of you supports my work through a Substack subscription and a Patreon membership, which directs me to shout out the Friends of the Jefferson Madison Regional Library and specifically the upcoming Spring Book Sale. The Spring Sale takes place this year from April 6th to April 14th, with a preview on April 5th for members, with all of it taking place at 300 Albemarle Square in the Old Northside Library. Do you have some old books you'd like to share with the community and support the library? Large boxes can be taken to the Gordon Avenue Library during their opening hours, and smaller ones can be taken to any branch library except downtown. This will close about a week before the sale begins. Or maybe you want to volunteer. There are lots of opportunities. Find out more information at jmrlfriends.org. The City of Charlottesville has posted an opening for Deputy City Manager for Operations just over a week after Lionel Lyons began work in the position. Here is the section from the summary for the position on governmentjobs.com. This position performs complex professional and administrative work in assisting the city manager in a variety of assignments. On February 5th, City Manager Sam Sanders had expressed how glad he was to have a full management team in place. Afton Schneider, the city's director of communications and public engagement, said that Lyons had a family emergency and was unable to return to work. The salary range is between $175,011.20 and $205,171.20 and a year. Two other high-profile positions are also recently open, including a listing for the city engineer that was posted on February 9th. Jack Dawson has been in that position since January of 2019. The salary range is $98,550.40 and $123,448 a year. Another top departure is Susan Moffitt as Director of Social Services. An open position was listed today and puts that job salary at between $120,744 and $161,699.20. There were 3,340 fewer farms in Virginia in 2022 than in 2017 and 9,481 fewer farms than in 1997. 
That's according to the latest five-year census of agriculture developed by the federal government. Here is the introduction to the census, which is produced by the National Agricultural Statistics Service. The agricultural census definition of a farm is any place from which $1,000 or more of agricultural products were produced and sold, or normally would have been sold, during the census year. The Census of Agriculture dates back to 1840 and is conducted for many reasons, and one purpose is to allocate funds for farm programs and to inform agricultural services. The records track a continued decline in the number of farms and an increase in the land value for all farms. In 1997, there were over 8.75 million acres in Virginia considered to be farmland, compared to 7.3 million acres in 2022. The average market value of land and buildings jumped from 384,979 in 1997 to $994,096 in 2022. The average size of a there were 167,583 acres in agricultural production in 2022. Of those, 628 farms have 42,417 acres classified as cropland, and 551 of those farms harvested 34,279 acres. The number of farms listed as having cropland actually increased from 540 in 2017. But more of that land was actually in production back then, with 40,382 acres harvested in 2017. Of those farms in Albemarle, 298 are classified as having cattle, with an inventory of 18,134 cows, with 10,069 of them listed as beef cows, and only 232 of them listed as dairy. The rest are unclassified. In 2017, there were 411 farms with cattle in Albemarle. There were 29 hog and pig farms in Albemarle in 2017, a number that dropped to 21 in 2022. The number of sheep farms increased from 59 to 70, with a corresponding increase of about 900 head for a total of 2,847 sheeple. Look, I had to come up with something. You can't say sheep twice in one sentence. There were 200 horse farms with a total inventory of 1,639 horses. The average farm in Albemarle is losing money with an average net cash income per farm of a negative $16,033. There were 1,290 people employed as hired farm labor. Here are some highlights from other counties. There were 289 farms in Fluvanna County with a total of 49,499 acres with an average size of 171 acres. In 2017, there were 273 farms, so that's an increase in Fluvanna. There were 187 farms in Greene County with a total of 30,811 acres with an average size of 165 acres. The number of farms is down from 214 in 2017. There were 452 farms in Louisa County in 2022, with a total of 86,660 acres in production. The average size is 192 acres. Like Fluvanna, there are more farms than in 2017, when 231 were recorded by the Census of Agriculture. 
In Nelson County, there were 399 farms in 2022, with 68,566 acres considered agricultural. The average farm size is 172 acres. There were 409 farms in 2017. Now, let's go across the mountain. There were 1,460 acres in Augusta County, with 243,974 acres in production. The average farm size is... 167 acres. There were 1,165 farms in 2017. There's a lot in this document, and anyone with an interest in agriculture should go dig into the data and let me know and others what you find. We all eat. We all have food that comes from someplace. It's kind of important. The appointed body created by Charlottesville City Council in 2013 to serve as a strong advocate for justice and equal opportunity is seeking information about... The appointed body created by Charlottesville City Council in 2013 to serve as a strong advocate for justice and equal opportunity is seeking information from the public about what it should do next. Here is a section from a press release sent out earlier this week. The Charlottesville Human Rights Commission, or HRC, will be holding its annual planning meeting in March. At this meeting, the HRC will select focus areas for its work in the coming year and identify steps to achieve its goals related to the selected focus areas. To influence the decision, the Office of Human Rights has put out an anonymous online survey to get feedback. The three-question form first asks the respondents to pick from one of four pre-selected areas. The survey then asks for any other ideas. The Human Rights Commission will discuss the annual planning meeting at its meeting on February 15th at 6.30 p.m. in City Space. According to a report in the packet, the Office of Human Rights has nine active complaints and a total of 51 unique individuals were served in 2023. The budget for the office has grown from $184,470 in fiscal year 20 to $487,553 in fiscal year 24. The increase this year is due to the hiring of two new full-time employees for the office, for a total of four, with those two positions created through the one-time use of federal funds according to the adopted fiscal year 24 budget. A former member of the area's regional planning body had encouraging words for four new people who joined the body late last week. In 2023, Dale Herring opted not to run for another term as a member of the Greene County Board of Supervisors. For me, one of the biggest honors I had being on the Board of Supervisors was serving on the Thomas Jefferson Plan District Commission. The commission is made up of individuals who believe in something greater than themselves, who work for a better tomorrow for all the local communities. Across Virginia, planning district commissions assist local governments with matters that cross jurisdictional boundaries. Here's Christine Jacobs, the executive director of the TJPDC. Um, the PDC was created through the Regional Cooperation Act. All planning district commissions were. TJPDC specifically uh, was created in 1972. There are 21 planning district commissions across the Commonwealth. All jurisdictions are members of planning district commissions. TJPDC has a 12-member board made up of appointed and elected officials. 
four new people joined last week. They are Albemarle Supervisor Michael Pruitt of the Scottsville District, Louisa Supervisor Manning Woodard of the Cuckoo District, Green Supervisor Tim Goolsby of the Monroe District, and Green Planning Commissioner James Higgins. Jacobs told the board that the TJPDC is not a policymaking body and is instead intended to be a clearinghouse to share information. We really do facilitating and convening and problem solving at a regional level, but all decision making is still at a local level. Jacobs said that over the years, many initiatives of the TJPDC have gone on to become freestanding institutions, such as Jaunt, the Piedmont Housing Alliance, the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless, the Central Virginia Partnership for Economic Development, and the Jefferson Area Board for Aging, which goes only now by the name JABA. The budget for TJPDC comes from allocations from the state government, grant programming from state and federal sources, and local governments. The TJPDC can also get paid for specific projects. So, for example, if um, I'll give you a, a current example, the town of Mineral reached out to us with uh, for support on their comprehensive plan, and we went under an MOU, and they contracted with us to do staff support. I'll have more from this February 8th, 2024 meeting of the TJPDC in future editions of the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon field shout out. Are you interested in learning more about the health of area waterways? Would you like to get some first-hand experience using science to evaluate water quality? Or perhaps you'd like to help keep rivers and streams clear of debris, trash? If so, consider joining the Ribena Conservation Alliance for a volunteer open house on Thursday, February 15th. Come by the RCA office on River Road anytime between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m to learn about their programs and the many ways you can get involved. Staff members will be on hand to share information about their monitoring, restoration, education, and stewardship activities. New and current volunteers are welcome. Light refreshments will be provided. RSVPs are appreciated at rivanariver.org. One very big long story to go today, and this one took a while to get through, and it's still not over. With Charlottesville's new development code set to become effective in just a few days, the pieces of how it will be implemented are coming together. On February 5th, Council adopted two manuals that will help staff and members of the public figure out how to navigate the new landscape. One of them is the Affordable Dwelling Unit Manual, as explained by the person who will be responsible for monitoring and enforcing the new rules that will require units to be rented or sold below certain income levels. 
Here is Antoine Williams, the city's housing program manager. It clarifies requirements and processes related to affordable dwelling units and offers guidance to internal staff and external stakeholders. Council's discussion and vote were split between a 4 p.m. work session and a regular agenda item several hours later. In brief, any project outside of the three residential-only zones that has more than 10 dwelling units must guarantee that 10% be designated as affordable. Depending on the zoning district, property owners can get additional height if bonus levels of affordability are met. To try to halt displacement, the Office of Community Solutions will employ a suite of programs called the Housing Equity and Anti-Displacement Toolkit, or HEAT. This is separate from the manual. The emphasis with that is to uh, concentrate several measures uh, to be effective in areas of our communities, uh, zones that have been identified as sensitive or have uh, unique vulnerabilities. There are seven measures in all, including creation of a land bank program and waiving various fees. Another is the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Funds grant program, as well as the Charlottesville Supplemental Rental Assistance Program. Funding for the latter has recently been used by the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority to purchase several properties across the city. Here is City Manager Sam Sanders. This is a list of, of various um, program level conceptual <clears throat> items that the housing team is working on. And what I asked them to do was to identify what are we already doing, what is currently in play, what could be expanded, what could be enhanced, um, what could, with some attention being paid to it, could we consider doing something else too? Sanders said there is interest in a tax increment rebate program. We already do that, but in a very small way. So part of the work is to figure out how to bring back some sense of how to expand that, how to broaden that for use beyond just the very limited way that we're doing it. According to the presentation, the land bank program will be targeted first in the Rose Hill neighborhood and the 10th and Page neighborhood. CAF grants will be prioritized for the Meadows neighborhood. The supplemental voucher program will be prioritized in the Fifeville neighborhood, the Ridge Street neighborhood, and the Star Hill neighborhood. Meanwhile, the market moves on. On February 2nd, a four-bedroom house in the 200 block of 10th Street Northwest, built in 2006, sold for $625,000. The Piedmont Housing Alliance had bought the property on August 14, 2000 for $55,750 and demolished the existing house as part of an initiative to build new housing in that neighborhood. The newly built unit sold for the first time in June of 2006 for $345,000. Back to the present. The manual was put together with significant input from the Housing Advisory Committee, which includes the director of CRHA, the Piedmont Housing Alliance, and Habitat for Humanity. Each organization also receives affordable housing funds from the city. City Councilor Michael Payne attended the two-and-a-half-hour meeting at which HAC members gave their final suggestions to the Affordable Dwelling Unit Manual. I think most of their recommendations have been incorporated into this, and, and part of my approach to this document is that it is very much a living document. Um, it's been amended to say that the, the numbers will be revisited at least annually, and I think it's just inevitable that we're going to need to see how the market responds as well as to what our staff capacity needs are. Some questions. Will the public be able to expect a report on whether public investments are having the desired effect? 
The Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund has been in existence since 2007. I can think of only two times it was audited. In one of them, housing specialist Kathy McHugh told City Council in January of 2016 that the city was not on track to meet the comprehensive plan goal of having 15% of the city's total housing stock supported by subsidies. She presented data, as I wrote about for Charlottesville Tomorrow at the time. In April of 2022, then-Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders presented Council with the results of an audit of the CAF that broke down how $46.7 million in funding had been spent between 2010 and 2021. I wrote about that in this newsletter at the time. McHugh left city government to pursue a different career. She was replaced by Stacey Pethia, who left the city to become Albemarle County's housing coordinator and now assistant director of housing. Pethia was replaced by John Sales, who left in the summer of 2020 to become director of the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. The city was without a housing coordinator for nearly three years until Williams was hired. But how will this manual be updated? The resolution to adopt the Affordable Dwelling Unit Manual states that it is to be subject to amendment every two years. However, the city manager can make changes at any time in consultation with the city attorney. These are to be posted on the city's website 10 days before the changes take effect. Here is Alex Ikofuna. He's the director of the Office of Community Solutions, where the housing programs in the city are now kept. We can uh, remove an uh, uh, extensive amount of time spent uh, uh, on the revisions. However, if in the wisdom of the city manager and uh, perhaps uh, the city attorney, they think that the proposed revision rises mm-hmm. up to the consideration of the city council, I think they have the option to make uh, um, that, uh, Going back to council. that decision. The Charlottesville Planning Commission did not review the Affordable Dwelling Unit Manual. The adoption of the Affordable Dwelling Unit Manual came after further discussion later in the meeting. City Councilor Michael Payne said he still had some concerns about some of the details. But I will say there's there's uh, time pressure, I think, to adopt this to align with the new code. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel comfortable. I think the things that have been up are very legitimate. I would like further discussion about them. Um, but recognizing that this is a living document, I feel comfortable passing this tonight, knowing that we can engage at any time in those conversations. City Councilor Natalie Oshrin said she thought the Planning Commission should have reviewed the document. Ikafuna said they were not the correct venue. We channel everything that deals with housing to um, uh, to HAC, and HAC makes recommendation that goes uh, to the City Council. The development code could not be implemented unless the manual was in place, which is why there was a need to approve it without delay on February 5th. Williams said reviews of projects are already underway, but at least one item will come back for review, and that's figure three, which lists the maximum monthly rents per income level. During both the work session and the regular session, Councillor Lloyd Snook took issue with calculations that came up with the payment that would have to be paid by developers who choose to not build affordable units on site. Intellectually, it's wrong. Intellectually, this would be rejected by any scientific uh, study committee, any thesis review committee, they'd tell you go back and run the experiment again. 
they would tell you that that doesn't make any sense or, or, or reconfigure what your criteria are to get something that, that fits, that makes a pattern. Uh, but under the circumstances, if it's going to lead to more, I mean, I, I hope that at some point, maybe next year, somebody will, will redo the calculations and, uh, and come up with something that is more intellectually defensible. But if, if the practical effect of this is that it's going to create more rental units being more affordable units being built on site, um, you know, more power to them. Despite seeing flaws with the document, council voted unanimously to adopt the affordable dwelling unit manual, but asked that it expeditiously be revisited in the near future, possibly within two months. This story is not over, and tomorrow I'll have a story about the development process manual, also waiting to be written from that city council meeting. There was a rezoning on Lankford Avenue, possibly the last one under the old rules. A letter requested an extension of the time that projects could be considered under the old rules. And there was a discussion about using some of the city's surplus to potentially avoid property tax rate increases this year. Now, forgive me for being a little loopy during and at the end of this installment, but I find myself still with stories to tell from that February 5th City Council meeting. Today's edition has a few non-Charlottesville stories to give myself a little break, but also to remind readers and listeners that while this is called Charlottesville Community Engagement, I see a bigger tapestry and it is important to point out different threads from time to time. Today, I finally paid my membership dues to the Virginia Press Association for this year and next year. That was one of those errands I've been putting off. I've been able to do that and do things like pay for legal research because of the funding that comes through subscriptions. Today, I also had an exciting preliminary conversation about a new project that may yield help. Thanks to all the supporters for getting me to here and for encouraging me to keep moving forward. Ting will match your initial subscription as part of their sponsorship deal with me, so that's another great way that I can stay loopy and you stay in the loop. Thanks a lot and goodbye.